Turn in your Bibles to uh, Mark chapter 1. If you haven't been here in a few weeks, we are walking through the book of Mark. And it's a book that really is about snapshots of, of the life of Jesus. It's, it's not the in-depth chronological life like a Luke or a Matthew is. So, but this morning it gives us a snapshot of early in his ministry. But let's lead, lead the text as we begin here today. Uh, Mark 1, starting with verse 21. And they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in there a synagogue, a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us? Jesus of Nazareth, why have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue, and he entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. And now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came, and he took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick were oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, and while he was still dark, he departed and he went to a desolate place where he prayed, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. There was a series on TV that ran for a number of years. I don't know if it's still going, but it's titled 24. Uh, I've seen a few of the episodes. It starred Kiefer uh, Kiefer Sutherland, and his on-screen name was Jack Bauer. And the setting was that he was in a counter-terrorist unit, and there were 24 episodes in a season, and each episode covered one hour of his life. And it was kind of using a narration-type method. Anybody ever watch or see a little bit? A few of you may have uh, watched some of those. But catch this. These verses that we read here this morning really summarize almost exactly 24 hours of the life of Jesus. Now, think back with me. Yesterday at 11 o'clock, today... 11 o'clock. If you were to write a story of the 24 hours of life, what would it be like for you? 24 hours for you. Now, think of that in light of 
the 24 hours of Jesus. Matter of fact, think if you went up to Jesus and say, Jesus, tell us what your day's like. And he begins like something like this. Well, you know, it was kind of typical. Got up on Saturday morning and I went to the synagogue and I brought my four disciples with me that I had called. And I sat there a while, and then there was this period of silence where no one was saying anything. So I jumped up, I grabbed the moment, and I began to teach. And the teaching was going really uh, quite well. But all of a sudden, in the midst of my teaching, this demon-possessed man stood up and started screaming and challenged me. And we went toe-to-toe. And I told him to be quiet leave. And I watched as this demon threw the man into convulsions, and the demon came out and he left him. It was, it was quite a scene. I understand that. And after we got, the, we got done with the synagogue, Peter had invited me over for supper, and so I, I went to Peter's house, and you know I was a little tired. I was hoping to catch a break, and you know it's the Sabbath. You're supposed to rest on the Sabbath, and I was hoping to maybe get a little nap in, but I got into the house, and I realized Peter's mother was really sick. So I went in and I healed her. And then we ate supper. And then after supper, we got almost done eating and, and there was this knock on the door. And he looked outside and the whole house was surrounded by people. And, and so we went out to investigate and it was an interesting group of people because many of them were blind. Some were deaf. Other people had been struggling with physical ailments. They were there. And a whole bunch of these guys, and, and some women even, they were actually were under the influence of demons. There was lots of them. So what I decided to do is I, I healed them. I spent three or four hours just working with them and healing all of their needs. And it got to be pretty late. And, and you look at this Jesus, and you maybe respond to him this way. Wow, a, a pretty intense day. I, I bet you want to sleep in in the morning. And Jesus responds something like this. You know, I've heard that sleeping in is kind of nice. Uh, but between you and me, I, you know, I just I, I couldn't do it. I needed to spend some time with my father. So, so what I did is I got up really early before light came up and I went out into the wilderness. I just needed to pray. And finally, the four disciples come out and find him. And he starts a new day. See, if we looked at that day, or if you were one of the disciples that, were, that was following him around, wouldn't you agree that that 24 hours was incredibly tense and draining? And yet, there was many days like this for Jesus. See, this was the beginning of his earthly ministry. And understand that there was no easing into it. He didn't start off working half days. He gets baptized by John the Baptist, which is kind of the beginning. He goes out into the desert and he gets tempted. He begins to call and begins a teaching ministry. So he starts calling his disciples. That's what Steve looked at last week. And he jumps full bore into this ministry doing the will of his father. There was no short-circuiting this ministry that he needed to do. 
But let me dig into some of the details here this morning for you. In this 24 hours, see, he brings four disciples. He takes them to the synagogue. Now, I understand the synagogue isn't exactly like a church or especially the temple back then. Um, if you don't, if you haven't heard the history of it, a synagogue really was just a large hall in a city. And during the week, the synagogue actually was used as a school. So if you were a boy ages five and up, the, those boys would go to the synagogue and the rabbi would teach them. At, then that would be the place where they would have their school. Now, the structure was also used often for community events, and it was even for some minor trials and stuff, and it, it was administered by a bunch of group or a group of elders in the community. But on the Sabbath, it was used as the place of worship, and they had to have a minimum of 10 males attend that in order for that to take place in order for the teaching to go on. But what this structure on the Sabbath kind of went like this. There was prayers, there was psalm singing, a little bit like us today. There were blessings, there were reading of the scriptures, and then there was rabbis and, and scribes who would basically talk about what other people, how they believed the Old Testament was to be. But there was no sacrifices, there was no altars, and, and now each of them usually had a rabbi, and they were, while they were the, were the recognized leader of, of this, um, this place, is that they weren't considered the official clergy in the community. It, it wasn't like there, somehow there's this title on them. Matter of fact, if you were a male Jew, and you felt that yourself was qualified a man could stand up at that place and ask, can I do some teaching? It was that kind of informal aspect of that, what was going on there. And so there was probably this, this gap. They suspect that there was this gap where all of a sudden Jesus stands up and goes, can I teach? And look at the response in verse 22. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, important word there, not as the scribes. See, he was a man, now, by the way, he had already been rejected in Nazareth. We see that in Luke chapter 4. But it's clear, as he got up and he started speaking to the people, people took notice of what he thought, of what he taught. And they sensed his authority. Folks, it was different than what the scribes taught. And I think in part, if you go back a little earlier to what Steve covered last week in, in verse 14 and 15, he was proclaiming the gospel. He was proclaiming that this, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Now, the difference here. What was it like for the scribes in their teaching? History records some things here. And, and here's the difference. The scribes, again, what they would do is they would look at the Old Testament, but the, what they would basically read is what other people talked about, other scribes, other people. So it was kind of like me opening up and reading a commentary word for word. But there was another piece to this as well. 
is that when they would get done with their dissertation, they're kind of lecturing the people, what they would do is oftentimes they would begin to make up rules and laws that the congregation would have to, that group of people would have to follow. And these laws were often extra-biblical. They really weren't rooted in the scriptures. So you understand the tension is the people would come, they would hear stuff about the scriptures, and then rules were put on them. And they had to learn to obey. And, and the reason why is that you understand the scribes and the Pharisees, if you didn't follow the rules, you'll never win the favor of God. See, that was part of the, the, the tension there, is that if you obey the rules, yes, then God will bless you. Now, there's an application here for us, I think, this morning, of what Jesus is doing in his teaching. And, and number one, I said it this way, Jesus was dividing the, the people here and showing the difference between religion and a real relationship, true faith. And this won't be the last time either. He's going to do it often. But here's the reality. People can do religious things, and they were trapped in that, and we can get trapped in it today, and we can do religious stuff and not really have a relationship with Jesus. So the question for us, is our life dominated by spiritual doing things, but, but we're acting in cert certain ways and following rules, but there really isn't much of a relationship with Christ. See, folks, as he was speaking, he, he was sharing the gospel. He was saying the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is here. Repent. Believe the gospel. And what's that gospel? We looked at it a couple of weeks ago. It's the idea that Jesus has come to set people free. Free from the bondage of sin. And its purpose is to restore a relationship between God who's out there and us. And the gospel brings people together with God. And it fixes the dilemma of sin in this world. But the reality is that so many people, they want to turn spiritual things into a religion. Into a religion. And religions heap rules on people so that you can earn the benevolence of God. Earn the favor by keeping the rules really is the crux of most world religions. Do more good things, try harder, and now you're a god or the god can fix you. But folks, this teaching of Jesus would have been so radically different. Because what he's doing, he's showing the pathway in the gospel and repentance. He said, this is the path to the Father. Celebrate. The king has come. Now, he didn't reveal early on that he was the king. So this would have been different. And they're going, what's going on here? And he would have been saying things like, the sacrifice is going to get paid for you. We're going to get rid of the law. We don't come under its authority. So you understand why it was so different from the teachers of that day. We can turn spiritual things into a religion so easy. You know, I, I think of this issue. And, you know, you know, if you're a middle school or a high school student here, this issue is your spiritual life. 
going to be a religion or is it going to be based on a relationship with Christ? That at the heart is such a critical issue for young men and women as well as adults. And if you don't know the difference, if you don't really understand what that means, you need to go to your parents and say, what's the difference between a religion and real faith? We need to understand that issue. Listen, religion really is the default mode of the human heart without Christ. Try to live and obey a bunch of rules to reach God. Let's keep digging in. Look at verse 23. And immediately there was in their synagogues a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know that who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, Come out of him. See, this section introduces the demonic world to us. And it wasn't new back then. Now, catch this. The majority of people in the United States right now don't, do not believe in a literal Satan. And I say, he's real. I've dealt with some demonic stuff once or twice. When Deanna and I lived in Vancouver, they dealt with it much more often out there. One of the gals in our college ministry that Deanna and I were helping lead, um, she ended up having multiple demons in her, in her life, her body. And I think at times we ignore this stuff. But this, in this text, you catch what this demon is saying. You are the Holy One of God. And, and folks, there's an application here, I think, that we got to remember in that. Number two for your notes, people can believe that Jesus is who he claims to be and not be a child of God. See, this demon says, I know you're the Christ. But you catch this, Satan and all of these angels, they believe. They believe in the truth that Jesus is who he claims to be. But they rebelled against God after they were created. There was this rebellion that they took a stand and said, we're going to choose not to come under your authority, God. We want to be worshipped just like you. And they chose independence and they chose autonomy as the basis of their standing in this world. And do we understand that there are many people in this world who believe that Jesus is the Son of God and yet in terms of authority, they're not coming into the authority of Jesus or God. They're going, I want to live my own life the way I choose to live it. I'm going to worship the self. I'm going to choose independence and autonomy. And Jesus goes, uh, he's telling us there's an authority issue here. And this text points that out. And people can believe in Jesus and not be a child of God. But this authority, we see the immensity of it. The title of our series Here's even the wind and the sea obey him. But even here we see it's not just the wind and the sea. 
It's the demonic world. They have to obey Jesus. See, this demon, I understand when he confronted him, he wasn't looking to surrender. There was a fear there going, what are you going to do with us? And I think that was representative of us, meaning demons. It's not the people there. See, this demon was committed to Lucifer. Satan was his leader. And Jesus basically says this, shut up. It's that intense. And the demon had to stop and leave. And he would not come under the authority of Jesus. He wanted to continue the battle against Jesus. And yet he recognizes his authority. See, the demonic world still believes that, that they can win. Uh, they believe a lie, but they still believe they can win. But you catch what the power of Jesus here in this, with this demon-possessed man. It, this isn't like the movies that we, we find. You know, where they put up all kinds of candles around the room, put up crosses all over the place. No. This is was, you be quiet, out. And the demon had to leave. But see, that was the authority of Jesus, and the people recognized it. This authority issue is a deep issue, even in the area of sin, even in our world. We want to keep defining sin as some moral action. The folks, the deeper level of surrounding sin is that we want to be autonomous. Autonomous means independent and self-rule. We want to decide what we want. And Jesus says, no, you got to come under the authority of who I am. See, authority issue is deeply important here. Surrendering to Jesus is so important. And so many people who claim to be disciples of Christ say, you know what? I don't know if I will or not. We, have a, we had a parenting discussion doing some on Wednesday nights. And the last topic, we actually didn't finish, so uh, not next Wednesday, but the following Wednesday we'll finish this. And, and the topic was on why kids don't want to go to church. And we were going through an article that basically gave eight reasons why kids don't want to attend church. And I'll be honest with you, it's pretty disturbing to me in that. But one of the reasons in that article basically said this, is that oftentimes children and students and parents get this understanding that, yeah, I get my kids saved as long as I'm saved, then I can kind of do what I want. I don't really have to come under the authority of Jesus. I really don't have to grow spiritually. See, that's the challenge for us, is that if we claim to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, it does mean that we're coming under his authority. The authority issue is so important to discipleship. Are we surrendering to a relationship with, into a relationship with Jesus who has authority in our lives? But this world, they bristle at the authority of God. They don't like it. Matter of fact, I've used this a number of times. It's one that you need to be able to quote and turn to when you work with people. Look at Judges 21-25. This is, this is the snapshot of our day. 
In those days, Israel had no king, no leadership. And look what happened. All the people did what was ever seemed right in their own eyes. I choose to make up my own rules for life. That's at the heart of what's happening. That's independence. That's autonomy. And that's the deeper level of sin that we got to understand. But keep going. Look at verse 29. And immediately he left the synagogues and he entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. And he came and he took her by the hand. He lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. Now, you catch the trivia here is that Peter was married. This was his mother-in-law that was ill. I think we look at the disciples and go, they didn't have any wives, did they? They, uh, No, he was married. And and you notice that his brother was living with him, his wife and his mother-in-law was with him. I look at that arrangement and go, that's, I wouldn't really want that, okay? Um, Lots of reasons for that, but that, it wasn't, wouldn't be me. But they go to the house and, and just think of, of Peter's wife as, as they walk through the door. And she maybe looked at him and said, you brought guests and you didn't let me know? <laughs> Why didn't you text me? You know, so, but here they, they come into the house and I assume that Peter's wife came running to Peter and say, my mom is really, really sick and I'm worried. And Peter responds something like this. I got just the right medicine for you. And they bring Peter into that room where she was and he, and he takes his hand and he touches her and he lifts her up and her fever is gone immediately. But you catch that last phrase, and she began to serve him. Now, now pause for a moment, just what happened here. Because if you and I had a fever that was really, really strong. And it breaks one day. You know how the next day we're looking and going, we just don't want to do anything. You get a taste of what happened. The power of Jesus at this point is that she went from a fever and there was no recovery time. There's no laying around for a day to get her strength back. She had her strength back immediately. And she's up and she's serving, getting ready for a meal. You catch the power of Jesus. See, but he's one who ministers. And it's continuing. It's, it's a part of what he's doing to do the will of his Father. But look, keep going. Look at verse 32. And that evening at sundown, they brought him to all who were sick and oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So the Sabbath was over. The, the, the sun had gone down. And, and the people that had, they had recognized this man was different. This man had the power to heal, to deal with demonic world. People knew it. And they wanted a piece of Jesus. I, I can imagine at the synagogue, just think what would happen with that kind of power on display. 
Man, if they would have had cell phones back there, you know what they would have been doing? They would have been taking pictures of that demonic guy and they would have been sending it off to their whole, all of the, the contacts. Look at this guy, Jesus. His fame spread. Do we catch that? His fame spread and people knew that he had something which they wanted. But you catch even the last phrase when he healed them told the demons to come out. He goes, demons, don't say a word. Don't say anything to anyone. And you go, why? Why would, why would it matter? Uh, fr frankly, it's this. If the people would have recognized that he really was the Son of God, they would have tried to make him a king at that time. And Jesus knew that his time wasn't ready to reveal who he really was. Demonic world understood it but he was keeping it from people because he needed to do the will of his Father. But there's an application here I think we need to remember. Look at number three. If we want people to be healed and to be set free spiritually, then we must introduce them to Jesus. He's the source of our healing. And we need to help people who are far from Jesus take steps toward him to understand who he is and be set free. This is a part of what we can do. See, spiritual freedom starts with the gospel. And I think we need to learn to steer away from talking about religion and really begin, in a greater way, begin to figure out what does it mean to just share about the life of Jesus and who he really is. Uh, two weeks from now, we're going to be doing a Bible conference. And a friend, Ron, again, he was a seminary and college professor. He's with Barnabas International right now. But he's going to be dealing with some things that I believe will help equip us as we talk and minister to people. And part of the challenge is, is that we at times don't present an accurate picture of God. The questions he's going to be dealing with and kind of looking at some different traditions of how people view these three questions of who is God, who is man, what is sin, what is salvation? Jimmy, you want to put those on the screen there? I think they're, I think I listed him. These four questions are critical. And as I was pondering these, as he sent me kind of a little bit, we're dialoguing back and forth what he was going to do. I, I looked at these and realized this is what parents must do in terms of discipling their kids. They must help their kids have an understanding, an accurate picture of who God is, who man is. What is sin and what is salvation? Because the world in which we live, they differ on these questions. And it's important for us to be able to under communicate the answers to these. Realize that there's many, many churches in our community. And why are there so many? What are some of the subtle beliefs of why they're so different? Could, could, do we know that? 
Matter of fact, when you go to the news media, one of the things that just frustrates me all the time is that they, the news media out there, they lump all of the churches together in one category. They throw the word Christian on it, and they go, everybody believes the same thing. And that's, folks, that just isn't true. That isn't true. They'll lump a Mormon church into an evangelical church and a free church, and I'll say this, a, a Mormon beliefs and the evangelical free beliefs, there is almost nothing in common. They might attend a building on Sunday, but that's about it. Do we know the difference? And I think we got to do a better job of presenting who God is, who Jesus is, a better definition of sin, so my hope is that there would be representative from every household that calls this your home church. Yeah, we're not going to be able to have child care because it's going to go till about 8 o'clock on those nights. But do we recognize that we have to articulate this to others and even to our children? Let me keep digging here. Uh, but I need to give you an application here. I, I think it's so important from how the Holy Spirit works. Number four, Jesus also invites us to follow his example and have a devotion. Open our eyes and look around where there's hurting people. See, we see this. Jesus, that night at the house, he could have said, you know, the city came out, surrounded the house, it implies. And he could have said, you know, I'm just tired. I don't want to deal with people tonight. No, they were in front of him. He saw their needs. He had compassion on them, even the ones that were demonic. See, see, for us, the tension is it's so much easier to minister to people who are like us, us that are normal. Now, what is, I'm not sure what normal actually means, but there's a place where it's easier to minister to people who who's not really all that broken. Let's keep going, the last section. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and he went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go to the, uh, to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went through all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Do you catch that this next 24 hours was going to be very similar to the, to the day that he just got done with? But just think of these four disciples left their boats. They begin to follow this man and they follow him for 24 hours. And I suspect that they would have looked at that and said, exhausting, exhausting from what he did. Dealing with the demonics in the synagogue. Healing person after person that evening. And folks, Jesus should have called in on that Sunday morning and asked, can I have a mental health day? I, I'm going to use some PTO on Sunday morning. That'd be the order of the day. But see, it really leads to that last principle for us today. That is, this is so important. Number five here, real rejuvenation, spiritual rejuvenation, comes not from earthly rest, but from a real relationship with the triune God. Jesus demonstrates this to us. 
this intense 24-hour period. He didn't move toward physical rest. Yeah, he stopped. And is there a place where we need physical rest? Yes. But what he demonstrated to us is that real rejuvenation comes not from the physical world, it comes from the spiritual world. That there was a connection. He knew I needed to connect with my father. Why? Because he had a good, good father that, that gave him the power to go start the next 24 hours over again. And if he wouldn't have gone to his father, he, in his human strength, he couldn't have done it. Do we catch this snapshot? Why us, for us, connecting with Jesus, with the Father, is so vital to our spiritual health and for renovation and restoration of our souls. Jesus knew his Father would give what he needed. But let me ask you the question, which of these five applications are really going after your heart? Is your life a religion or a relationship? Is there just an intellectual belief in Jesus? But are you, are you willing, really real, uh, willing to come under his authority? See, are we willing to look around and become people who have compassion and look at the crowds out there and go, these people need Jesus? Or how about if you're emotionally burned out right now? And even physically. Is there a place where you got to step away? And the, and the PTO time isn't just to sit and watch some show and rejuvenate that way. It literally is to take a date and, and to get up and to spend a number of hours maybe on your knees in, your, in the Word of God in worship, listening to music that would rejuvenate your soul because you're connecting with the Father. That's what he wants for us. Which one is the Spirit pricking your heart with this morning? Let's stand and pray.